Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for checking in at the No Breaking Podcast. We are back here now, obviously, trying to get it out there, trying to do things. It's been a little bit of a break, but we're back, and this time we're back with uh, Mr. Mike Burrows. He comes from, hailed as you might know from, from such works as Stance Works in particular, um, his incredible build, Proto Machine, and, and a couple of other things that we're going to sort of cover. But, but Mike, thank you so much for, for making the time today. It's great to have you on. Um, and thanks for being here. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. And uh, I guess we can also give the listeners a bit of background. I mean, you and I did originally do a podcast with my former co-host, Kyle, at the, the Peterson on their Car Stories podcast, but it never made uh, it to the light of day, so to speak. It was one of those episodes that was maybe swallowed up by the gremlins of the Peterson, or the soul of the Peterson might have taken it for its own, one might say. <laughs> Yeah, and it was uh, no, it was it was a fun you know opportunity to sit down and we kind of ran the gamut uh, you know of all things automotive. So it's it's good to kind of you know touch base again and get back together and uh, and and kind of run through things. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. And then, exactly, exactly. And then also, I mean, I know that one of the things when I gave you a, a walk around of the tour, I think it was for one of the Xbox launches they did at the Peterson, where I gave you a run round of the um, the vault downstairs. And we talked yeah, about yeah, was yeah. It your 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 uncle that had the the Camaro that was doing like the the top or the high speed runs. Is that something that we? If I remember, was it the uncle or someone else? Very impressive memory. Yeah, my uh, it was actually my father had um, a a Camaro third gen Camaro that he built uh, in partnership with Keith Black that John Lingenfelter drove uh, for a car and driver gathering of the Eagles, which was kind of this ultimate street car shootout. Um, and the, the Camaro, uh, kind of came in second place overall, second only to a Callaway, uh, Corvette. Uh, and afterwards, John Lingenfelter bought that car. Uh, and that's kind of how we began that discussion, I think was talking about John Lingenfelter. Uh, and I had mentioned, oh, I've been like trying to find this car. And, and you guys said, oh, you know, we might be able to help facilitate that. And believe it or not, uh, through you guys, uh, I actually tracked the car down. Uh, my father's former car sold it, you know, before I was born, but uh, managed to find it, found the guy that owns it, uh, and he was indeed willing to sell it. The only downside is uh, if uh, if I had bought it, it would have been the most expensive third-gen Camaro ever sold. He wanted $75,000 for this thing, um, yeah, which, which blew is my mind. It was, Yeah, it's quite kind of pricey at that point. Yeah, I uh, I said, sorry, that that is not an option for me. Um, which was a bummer, you know, it was one of those things I, I probably spent, you know, four years loosely, uh, trying to track this car down. It's kind of this car I spent my entire childhood, uh, hearing about from my dad, you know, it's kind of one of his fondest memories and accomplishments, so to speak. Um, and so to track it down, you know, I thought to myself, maybe I can buy this car, um, and surprise him with it. Uh, but unfortunately wasn't able to make it happen. And, and I think the guy's price was just way, way too high. What's kind of funny is in my research of trying to find the car, I found a very similar uh, vehicle, similar story. It was a, it was a same body uh, Trans Am, if I remember right, Pontiac. Uh, and it was a, it was a, I, I want to say it was a Gail Banks car turbo. Okay. Um, yeah same thing 200 mile an hour third gen uh it might have been road and track or car and driver cover car like really oddly similar story to what was what my father's car had i mean like on on almost perfect parallel Uh, and that car sold at auction uh you know like a few years ago for twenty five thousand bucks which is still a lot of money for a third gen uh car like that but you know that was kind of seventy five thousand realm yeah it's it's a huge difference so yeah, I, I tried for a little bit to tell the guy, hey, man, you know, maybe maybe we can meet somewhere more realistic. But I think that was just the I don't want to sell it price. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you get those things. But uh, I mean, I'm just glad that we were sort of able to help with the catalyst and, and kind of sort of help you find it, so to speak, at that point. You know, it's good to sort of like get to these conclusions after you spend so long in your life trying to search for something. Yeah, I mean, 100 percent credit goes to you guys. You guys made that connection, put me in touch with the right people. Um, and, and I think if I remember right, I had heard that Lingenfelter's daughter had the car, but I had made a few calls to, you know, like the Lingenfelter collection and things like that. 
never really got anywhere with it. But uh, through you guys, was able to kind of connect the dots. They tracked down who had bought the car from her and and managed to get in touch with them. And, and I'm still, you know, grateful to, you know, know where the car is and, and have found it. I got to see some photos of it in, in its current state, which is really cool. Uh, it's pretty much completely untouched from where it, it was, you know, back in 87 when uh, when it kind of ran this competition with car and driver. So it was, it was an incredible experience in any case. Yeah, and it's nice to also know that it's still basically in existence. It hasn't sort of disappeared or like, for example, being lost to the where things do and sometimes cars go and can never be found again. Yeah, it does mean the opportunity to acquire it isn't completely gone. So I'll, I'll keep my hopes up a little bit. Of course, of course. But I mean, speaking of you, so I under, obviously I remember that when we talked originally, you talked about how you sort of, it wasn't until you kind of got your first car you sort of like sort of got into like thinking of cars as like more than just a method of getting from place a to b um i know i remember also you talked about how you your father had sort of different kind of like sports cars uh, before your time before you were born and sort of coming up while you were being and so forth but it was so what really was it sort of pushed you down the direction with your sort of automotive sort of drive or shall i say yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I feel like uh, so often you hear about, you know, people with the story of, oh, I grew up in the garage wrenching with my dad or my grandfather or what have you. And, and I, I didn't really have that kind of experience growing up. And so cars, while they were of interest when I was young, they were never kind of like, you know, something I was excited about per se. Yep. Uh, and, yep. and so like you said, it wasn't ever until uh, I kind of got my first car that I realized, hey, this is like kind of cool. This might be something I'm into. I guess a, a bit before that, once you start, once you start realizing that you're going to get to get a car and you're going to start driving, you know, that's when, when things started picking up. But, um, you know, I, I, my father certainly contributed to what became a, a, a undying love for for automobiles as as did my stepfather my stepfather was um was formerly the television host for uh car and driver television and motor trend television before that uh back at rtm productions way back in the day um so he's he's as much of a car guy too and, and so growing up uh in the house with him he always had interesting fleet vehicles and press vehicles around and uh all sorts of cool stuff like that so i think those things helped shape uh the budding interest and then it was you know once i got to drive and, and learned the thrill of driving and even the thrill of like fixing your car once it breaks uh the enjoyment that comes from that uh, and then getting to tinker with it modify it make it your own uh and that's kind of where it all ignited uh, and it's been burning like crazy ever since so from that was did you sort of have the background then i mean obviously when was what's the sort of time frame from say you, you like sort of leaving school or leaving high school and then what direction did you go down at that point i mean did you go into like further study of the actual um like mechanicing or the wrenching or was it a different sort of path that you took no so following high school uh or i guess while i was in high school uh, i i actually borrowed my mother's camera so i could take some photos of uh of my E36 that I had at the time, uh, which I actually still have. It's a 93, 325 IS. Um, borrowed her camera to take some photos of it so I could share it on, you know, one of the big BMW forums at the time, you know, just kind of, you know, this was pre-social media, so to speak. Uh, so that was how forum, all of us hey remember. Yeah, that was, that was how we were all communicating and sharing and, and learning most importantly. Um, but, I, borrowing that camera and taking photos one evening uh, by the dumpsters behind my high school was absolutely a turning point in my life. Um, it was it was the first time I had ever taken photos, and it made me very quickly realize how much I enjoyed doing that. And so, following high school, uh, I, I went to Middle Tennessee State University, um, where I studied photography, uh, and it was a it was a largely a film program. Um, analog, you know, everything mostly studio based, uh, nothing automotive, nothing like that. I even had a photo professor when I said, Oh, I want to, you know, I want to be an automotive photographer. He kind of laughed at me and, and gave me a hard time about how that wasn't a realistic <laughs> profession to want to pursue. 
Um, but I did, and uh, I actually didn't wind up finishing college. Uh, it, in, in the early days of college, I had started my website, StanceWorks, just as a place to share my own kind of car photos from shows and of friends' cars that I was taking, and then as a as a small forum for for me and a close group of friends to kind of share what we were up to. Um, and and that website grew very rapidly and I found myself three years into you know my college program still with a year to go and realized I'm not I'm not making the progress I, I want to make uh, here I'm not learning as much about photography as I wish I was I even had a professor pull me aside and say I'm not really sure why you're here you should just be out shooting uh, so I kind of took that advice and realized Stanceworks was was growing at a rapid pace and and said I think I'm going to pursue this full time and so I, I withdrew from my classes and then promptly moved to California. Uh, and that's where I've been ever since, uh, doing Stanceworks full time. Yeah. And, and so I think, what, is Stanceworks, is that coming on? Is it like almost, is it 11 or 12 years old now at this point? Yeah, 12 years. Uh, it began, uh, I guess, yeah, January of 2009. So we're, we're right at about 12 years. Look at that. And then, so, so I mean, was it yourself? Was, was it... Uh, yourself was sort of created it and then was it Andrew that came on board is that sort of how it worked in regard to that yeah so so I started the website uh, and then you know I want to say maybe six to nine months in uh, I actually had somebody reach out to me um, that had an interest in what I was doing he wanted to be a part of it wanted to kind of throw an event uh, and and so we did there was great success from it and eventually brought him on as a business partner, uh, you know, part owner of the company to help it grow. He had these ideas of like, hey, we can monetize this website, we can bring advertisers in and, you know, make this a, a business, not just a blog. Um, and so he he was very helpful in, in helping to grow the business in the early days. Uh, and then very soon after that, Andrew, Andrew Ritter came on board to help do all of the design work. And so everything that's ever been designed Everything that's ever been a you know a product of Stanceworks uh, in terms of actual products and then just the the entire kind of outward facing uh, you know visual appeal of it and everything that's that's all Andrew Andrew was was just a, a monumental force in in helping create uh, the way Stanceworks is perceived to people um, and and all of that kind of stuff. So Andrew came on board. He he was helping do uh, all of the product design, you know, T-shirts and stickers and all of that kind of stuff. And then eventually the branding, uh, the brand identity, all those types of things. Uh, and then we eventually parted ways with with the third business partner, just kind of over differences of, of what direction to take the company. Uh, that was in 2012. And and so from 2012 until 2018, Andrew and I. Uh, ran Stanceworks together uh, and achieved some amazing things, awesome things. Had you know plenty of killer opportunities through that. So, yeah, I think you've also, I would say, you also designed or sort of created a style of photography that was totally associated and linked to Stanceworks. I think you've been very unique in the way that that you've sort of created this aesthetic. Um, I know, for example, that when you look at photos, you can tell uh, immediately that it sort of comes from from you guys in regard to, to the direction of taken. Um, I know that's also most recently led to you was that you created a set of presets as well that you for, for other would-be photographers and actual photographers to, to use. Is that right? Yeah. So there was uh, recently I, I, I put out a kind of a Stanceworks Lightroom preset, you know, set that uh, was essentially kind of an offering to other photographers to emulate or you know utilize that kind of stance works aesthetic that you're that you're talking about and that's something that andrew and i worked really hard you know over the course of almost 10 years together to to curate uh and to and to perfect and it's something i think both of us can take a lot of pride in um we've always been really you know happy with the with the photography and the storytelling that stance works brings forth and we do think that it's a, a, a you know it's it's our own unique take on on automotive storytelling um, and, and so to finally be able to bring that to other people and, and let them, whether it's just use it if they, if they don't know how, or to get an inside look at, at how we create that look and for them to modify it on their own and, and that kind of thing. 
Um, that was kind of the idea behind the Stansearch preset. You know, Stansearch has always been in many ways synonymous with its photography. Kind of like you said, you can tell a Stansearch photo when you look at it. Uh, and so what's what's the way to take that to the next step? And it's to uh, to share that with the world, so to speak. Yeah, and I guess also we take a step back. I think, did you, you and Andrew, didn't you connect over forums originally? Is that how it sort of came about as well? Yeah, initially, uh, the first interaction I ever had with Andrew is someone had sent me a link um, to a post on a mini forum. I can't remember the name of it at this point, but somebody had shared a BMW that I had built, Rusty Slammington, uh, as it's come to be known. Um, and and somebody had shared the car on this forum, and there were tons of negative comments, as as was typical. But then there was this guy uh, by the username of Rally, Andrew Ritter, uh, that was in there offering a completely different take on this car, uh, sharing why he thought it had uh, value in what it was doing and wasn't just uh, kind of this absurd take on a car. He, he, he was looking at the artistic approach of it, approach. Uh, and, and so I, I, I messaged him on that, created an account on the forum just to message him and say, hey, man, I wanted to like reach out and say thanks for like what you said about my car. It's really clear that you get what I'm trying to do here. Um, and and he was uh, he kind of reciprocated that and 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 it and it began some discussions and then at, at one point I needed some stickers cut and some t-shirts made and and I knew that that's what he had a business doing at the time uh, or and and he had offered in the past hey if you ever need this type of thing and and that was really the birth of of what became you know our relationship. I mean, I, it's it's good that we remember those days of when you'd have to sort of give your email address to a forum to join just so you could post and talk about something. And I mean, I still think I to this, to this day get birthday uh, reminders from several forums that I joined in the past many, many moons ago. Um, but it's funny how we've sort of moved past that now. But it, it does remember that while forums offer both sides, it's always nice when you can sort of hark back to that time when you had a positive interaction with someone and actually made a a friend and obviously in this case not only a friend but a business partner and, and here you go 12 years down the line where or more where you've sort of created this real niche in the market that you sort of own as, as stance works together yeah i really miss that aspect of forums uh and and truth be told like most of the people i would consider myself close with uh here in in 2020 are from forums yeah, oddly enough um, it, it's one of those things it, it helped forge relationships with so many people that are important to me today, uh, all of my closest friends. And it's something I, I really don't feel like comes from, you know, automotive social media today, you know, pretty much the whole automotive world is focused on Instagram. That's kind of where everybody interacts now, but it seems like that sense of camaraderie that you're echoing is, is, is not there. Maybe camaraderie is the wrong word, but the, the the aspect of it that that really brings people together i think that's something that forums did uh that we don't have anymore i really miss it, it it's it, it's kind of a bummer when you think about it i don't i don't see how we ever go back but yeah i mean i, I certainly agree i mean obviously instagram and facebook of course have taken it to more a comment-based interaction as opposed to like an actual discussion i mean i remember obviously seeing people build back and they'd bring a number of photos and talk about this steps and the others and and obviously like everything in these days with the internet you've got people that are for it and you've got people against it and it's nice to see that i always like to think that uh, even in my own role here i mean it, sometimes when you look at the comments and what people have to say it's it's rather unfortunate when you get to read these things about yourselves but then you just try and and focus on what appears to be the, the positives that, that other people take away from it and just try and look to see what you can do to sort of help drive the discussion, help drive it forward and be like, well, this is why I'm part of the industry. This is my niche and this is what I want to be more positive about and focus on. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And and so with that, I mean, obviously we, we touched on it with, with Rusty Slammington and we've also obviously you still alluded to that you still got your original BMW there. How did it sort of you fall into this like down this this BMW rabbit hole of sorts that you sort of uh, would say firmly are engrossed in at this point? Uh, so I can actually tell you the exact car that that started my BMW fanaticism. Uh, I had a I had a high school girlfriend, uh, 
And at the time I was driving, my second car was uh, an 87 Honda Prelude uh, four-wheel steer SI. Really cool car. Um, but my girlfriend's neighbor had a Calypso 325 E30 coupe uh, with, if I remember right, an M52 swapped into it. And he worked uh, at Treehouse Racing back in the day, which was a, a big name in the in the E30 in the E30 world. Um, and this car was breathtaking, even by today's standards. It was kind of ahead of its time, and with respect to kind of classic E30 styling, it was on Renault LSs. Uh, and just really well done. And I remember pulling into her driveway and seeing this car there and thinking at first, what is that thing? And then thinking, I've got to have one. Um, and so I talked to the guy and he kind of, you know, told me bits and pieces about his car and what it was. And I had, you know, I had no idea what I was looking at. I had no interest in BMWs prior to this. Um, but from there it was, uh, it was, game over. I think it was only a couple months before I had found my first BMW. Uh, it was an E30 325iS that I had bought for $250 off of, uh, I want to say it was out of like one of those auto trader type uh, paper booklets you get on the stand in the gas station by the door. I think this was bef well yep, before Craigslist was even a thing. Remember them fondly? Yeah. And, um, so I found one. I remember trying to explain to my stepdad what I wanted to do. I wanted to spend my 250 hard earned dollars from my, my first high school job working at a dry cleaner, uh, on this old BMW that the ad said needed work. And my stepdad insisted that thing is going to eat you alive. You're never going to be able to afford to keep it on the road. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be a nightmare. It's an old BMW. And so of course I sat down and I did my research and I brought him a whole kind of not a spreadsheet, but a, a printed sheet with, with all the different parts and pieces that I figured might need replacing. I said, well, here's the cost for an alternator. Here's the cost for, you know, a water pump, you know, just all this kind of stuff. Um, I like, so I like said, the idea right. of you, you with a procurement proposal put in front of your stepfather here. I think this is a good way to go about doing business. A hundred percent. It was, it, I had, I had to convince him that it was okay to bring this car home and stick it in the driveway. And uh, so he relented and he said, all right, if that's how you want to spend your money, I'll, I'll drive you out there and we'll go get this thing. And what's funny is it's, it's one of my most, most distinct memories with him is uh, we, we went out to this guy's property. It had to be probably an hour away. And we checked this car out and it's, it's not a perfect car, but it's reasonably nice. I mean, it's one of those cars that today would be worth a little bit of money because they've all, you know, spiked in value. Yep. Um, but for 250 bucks, it seemed like a, a, a great buy. And it was, I, I wish I could find something like that again. We all do, but we, uh, we did the test drive and the front, I want to say passenger side wheel bearing was almost completely seized. I mean, it was just howling and screaming as this car drove down the road. And my stepdad was like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, what are you, what are you even doing here? But I had to have this car. I had seen what it could be already. Thanks to my girlfriend's neighbor. Um, and so I bought it and then it was a torrential downpour on the way home, just horrible, you know, Tennessee storm. And with the wheel bearing, I had to drive this thing home at like 20 miles an hour. My stepdad yep. in front of me in his Cadillac with the with the hazards flashing and stuff, you know, what probably took two hours to get home. Uh, and I'm sure that he spent the whole time up there thinking, what on earth is this kid doing? What is he doing? But I think now we, we can both look back on that, uh, that silly experience as, uh, uh, as a transformative one, because it was definitely the, uh, the beginning of, of what I think is something fantastic. So. No, definitely. I mean, I, I completely agree with that. So, so how? So, tell me the the progress that, that that sort of it went from from there, from where it started with that car and that moment, as to along the way the the further acquisition of what I, I'm guessing is from my memory is a, a, another good number of BMWs that have passed through your hands uh, in that time. Yeah, so that car, uh, it lived a very short life. I spent a few weeks getting it all fixed up and ready. And the first day that I drove it to school in high school, uh, a kid rear-ended it, totaled it, uh, right outside the school. So didn't last long, but it was enough, uh, you know, it was, it was a taste of, of BMWs and I knew I, I wanted more. So I took the insurance money from that car and I bought the E36 that I still have now. 
Um, oh, okay. And so it, you could say that, that that first BMW, while the flame did burn incredibly bright for that particular car, it didn't burn very long, but the, it's still that flame is now still warming your heart to this day, so to speak. Poetically speaking, absolutely. It's it it's still it's still going, and so I I, I still own the E36 that that car bought, uh, and the E36 was a car I I had never expected to be able to afford, but fortunately the insurance company felt like an E30 uh, was still worth you know something, and and so my $250 purchase uh, wound up getting me several thousand dollars in uh, in in you know payout, and so that afforded me to buy the buy the E36 and. And from there, you know, my, my kind of MO on, on anything I wind up getting into is to, is to dive in head first and, and, you know, I'm, I wind up being obsessive about things and it, it hasn't stopped with the BMW stuff, but it, it, it definitely kicked off very quickly. And, you know, I, I had the E36 and it wasn't long before I, you know, I wanted to put coilovers on it and wheels and tires. And then a, a friend of mine convinced me that we should engine swap it. I wanted to do, you know, I wanted more horsepower. So we went out and we bought a uh, an E46 M3 complete driveline, uh, which had not been swapped into an E36 at that point, um, and we're in well in over our heads. But uh, you know, eventually got that done, and it was just kind of this chain reaction into more and more BMWs. You know, I I, I really enjoy everything they've built uh, from you know the 70s through the 90s, and oh, as worried we've got a we've got a delivery today, so. Uh, look, that's what we're here for. Let's see. Um, but it's, uh, you know, there there have been lots of cars since each one kind of building upon the last one um, or taking something learned from it, things like that. So. And then so so after you pick up your delivery, you can sort of allude to so where where you got the idea for, for Rusty, where did that come about? How did it sort of the the next of those steps for building that to what would be i mean i know obviously i've i've heard you talk about rusty and sort of it's you had a you wanted you had a thought of what you wanted to get through in your mind and what you wanted to create but there wasn't really a reason more than you having this idea and you wanting to get that idea out there and show this is what your 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 focus is and your design concept is and you're going from that design from concept to building it to prove that you can do it to the actual what you ended and finished up with yeah so so the the project of of rusty as a whole initially began uh, i bought that car as a daily driver for uh the time when i was engine swapping my e36 um it it was something to drive around while i ripped the engine out of what my mother felt was a perfectly good car and took it out of commission um and it was down for a long time admittedly so i i had this this black uh 535 um and it was it was a reasonably nice car it was a pretty cool car that i had tried a few different things with you know i wound up putting coilovers on it and um you know it had uh i, I did a full interior swap from what was a really nasty just totally trashed tan interior to a pacific blue leather sport interior engine had a shrick cam and i built an exhaust for it and you know had this really cool e28 uh and then at one point i decided i was gonna i had a parts car and so i took the hood off of it and i and i rusted it stripped the paint off and and put this rusty hood on an otherwise really clean nice pretty black car um and it was this kind of counterculture you know go against the grain type of thing while also kind of embracing this artistic statement of you know this this bright textured finish against uh the you know the totally opposite you know deep gloss black um you know kind of looking at the artistic value of this stuff and just having fun doing doing something of my own with this car um, yeah and and doing that landed my first magazine feature with Performance BMW. They they saw the car and they thought, oh man, that's that's wild. That's different. We gotta we gotta write about it. Um, and and so that happened. And I had my fun with it. And then I took that hood off. I put the car. I put the original black hood back on the car uh, and drove it around for for several more months uh, until I let a buddy borrow it uh, and it got run into a semi truck and got totaled. Um, 
You, you, I will yes. say there does seem to be a trend with you, Mike, in regards to you, unfortunately, having some so being a magnet for will be for other people wanting to hit your car. Yeah, it does. It does seem to happen a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> it's it's happened plenty of times since too. Um, but the, uh, the, the car getting totaled, uh, at first, you know, I, I wound up, you know, I had the tow truck just drop it back off at my parents' house and, and it sat for a long time. Uh, and then eventually I kind of realized, Hey, that was really fun when I, when I rusted the hood, what if I did the whole car? I would have done it back then, but I didn't have the balls to do that to like a, a really nice car, but this thing's totaled now. It's got a smashed a pillar. Uh, the front end has been wrecked all, all this stuff why not go for it? This could be like a really cool art piece. Um, and so I did. And that was kind of the beginning of what became many iterations of that car. Uh, you know, I, I was, I, I enjoy the creative process so much. And that car was an outlet for new ideas. What seemed like every few months I was, I was trying to reinvent that car. Yeah, because I mean, that's the, I guess that's what you have when you have these creative ideas and you have the ability to sort of work on, in this case, being your blank canvas, being the BMW that it is, and being able to sort of chop and, and change it as you think things through and, and put things through concept and have these discussions with folks. I mean, I guess and that's sort of how it progressed, right? Yeah, it was it was always just kind of a uh, a revolving door or or something like that. Uh, you know, it began as just kind of this, this rusted car that had perfect, really rare 18 inch BBS RSs on it that were, you know, you know, polished and, and perfect and all that stuff. Um, and then I think following that, I, um, I wanted to strip the rust off of it, uh, and kind of coat the car in oil, change the finish of it. So I did that and I painted uh, that's when it got the shark mouth on the side of it. My, my mother, who's a, who's an artist and I sat in the driveway and we painted that on the car together. Um, and, you know, kind of exploring that idea, you know, kind of the, you know, the, the Mustang fighter plane motif and what have you. Uh, and I changed the wheels again and, you know, just kind of reinventing the look of the car. Um, everybody had started calling the car rusty at that point, And I even tried to change the name. I hated the fact that everybody called it what seemed like such an obvious you know, name this, this rusted yep. BMW and everybody kept saying, Oh, rusty, rusty, rusty. I hated it to be honest. Couldn't stand it. Um, try, tried to reinvent the car and get people to call it something else. Didn't work. Uh, the, the community had decided that car was rusty, uh, no matter what it was going to be or what I was going to do to it. Um, and then from there I, I decided I wanted to kind of up the ante. And so a buddy and I pulled the engine out and we put a Toyota twin turbo one JZ into it. Um, then put the car on air suspension, <coughs> excuse me, put the car on air suspension, which was very radical for a BMW at the time. I, I'm not even sure if it had been done to another BMW at that point. Yep. It was drawing a lot of inspiration from, you know, like the mini truck world and the Volkswagen world. They were doing it over there, but it really wasn't a thing in the BMW community. Um, so I had a company in Austria custom make air suspension for this thing because it didn't exist. Um, and then, you know, further evolving that idea, I, I was getting into hot rotting and, and chopped tops and, and what have you. So uh, another friend and I, we cut the roof off the car. We, we sectioned a new roof onto it, chopped it. I want to say, you know, four or five inches, something like that. Uh, and then um, we body dropped all the suspension mounts on the car to get the car to lay totally flat on the ground, lower than any other one could ever be. Um, just all these types of things, radically changing the car each and every time. Yeah. Um, and then exploring I mean, new I, ideas. I was going to say a bit of hot running like that also fits well into, cause you'd be here in, it would, that's obviously you'd be here in California now at this point, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so that sort of also fits into the SoCal nexus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the car, this, all this stuff at the car uh, at this point was still back in Tennessee. So I'm just okay. at, at that time pulling inspiration from, from all the things that I'm into. Um, okay. And, and not long before moving, maybe six months before moving is, is when I had a garage fire that wound up torching the car. Um, and at that point I thought, okay, well this car is done. I can't really do anything with it, with it chassis that's 
you know, got fire damage to it. It's a structural mess. I mean, we're mm-hmm. talking about a fire that was hot enough to like melt all sorts of aluminum engine components that I had sitting by the car and all that jazz. So, you know, I, I thought the car is done, but the, the, the guy that had helped do the chop top and all the, all the body dropping and stuff, his name was Chuck Yoder out in, in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Uh, he said, well, let's, let's build a tube chassis inside of this thing and, and bring it back to life. You can, you don't, you don't need anything but the skin of the car to keep it really. Uh, and so that's what we started doing before I, I left Tennessee. We, we built a partial tube chassis inside of the car that was largely based on his experience as a drag racer. That's, that's kind of what his roots were based in. Uh, okay. but once we had made a certain level of progress, uh, was when I realized I needed to move to California. So I put the project on hold, uh, and it sat on hold for, I want to say, you know, four years, maybe three or four years. Uh, mm-hmm. I wound up just sitting in his yard under a tarp for a while. And then eventually in my parents' yard under a tarp, um, while I was out here in California. Uh, and so in that time, you know, that's, that's kind of when the hot rodding thing, I, I really pulled a lot of inspiration for Rusty from hot rodding. And so once I got out here, I said, all right, I want to build a hot rod of my own uh, and, and learn how to fabricate for myself. I had spent a lot of time with Chuck and had done basic welding and things like that. But how do I, how do I prep myself to build a complete car? I need to learn the skill set in order to build Rusty because I'm, I don't have Chuck anymore. I'm out here in California. So yeah, I built my first hot rod, my first Model A. It was a 28 Model A closed cab pickup. Um, but of course, I had to do my own touch with it, so it had a it had a BMW V8 in it instead of you know a flathead or something like that, um, and a handful of other BMW touches. It had 2002 steering in it and round tail tail lights and that kind of thing. Uh, and it was a really cool car. It taught me a ton. I still miss it. It it got sold and went off to a guy in, in Belgium. Um, but, but with that car is how I learned everything needed to build the the most recent and final iteration of Rusty. So I, I went back to Tennessee, I got the car, uh, and then I actually cut out all of the work that Chuck and I had done. I wanted to start from scratch. Uh, and so myself, uh, along with the help of uh, a good buddy, Byron Wilcox, he, he was over here, you know, lending a hand through every step of the way we, we built the car into what it is today. Yeah. And then, so once you, you built it, I mean, obviously I know that the the vehicle is no longer in your hands. I think from memory it's with a collector. I mean, when was the transition to to go from being like, this is as far as sort of I can take it. I know obviously I think you had some, there was long period of like, let's say that the discussion or the concept of the idea of you selling it and you sort of coming to terms with that. I mean, when was that sort of, sort of timeframe? How did that sort of work along and work out? Uh, with regard to selling it, you mean? No, I mean like, so you've sort of, you've put the work in, um, you've got it to where you, so at this point, it's sort of your, the, the final state. I know you talked about maybe making, doing body panels and so forth for it, but then I, I think that you'd work to the joy of building it and the idea of the concept of, is it going to really be rusty if it's just body panels now or, or that sort of concept? Am right, I sort right. of right in touching on that? Uh, yeah, so I the 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 most recent version of Rusty was largely based on uh, kind of like an FIA Group Five tube chassis race car. That's that's where my inspiration was at that point. So it was kind of how do I make this Group Five car from hell, so to speak? Um, it needs to still be rusty, uh, but unlike any other BMW out there. Uh, and so that's that's what I set out to build, and and as a result, I think I did. Um, but once that was kind of, I don't want to say finished, the car is never finished, but once that stage was far enough along, I found, my, I found myself thinking, all right, what am I going to do next? Because that's what this car has always been. It's just been a, 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 like I said, a revolving door of ideas. How do I, what, what, what can I do next to this thing? What's the next creative outlet? Uh, and so I got in my head that maybe I would uh, do either like an aluminum skin on the car or do fiberglass molds of the bodywork and have this kind of finished painted uh, version of the car I had built, kind of bring it full circle back to the, you know, quote unquote, finished car it was when I first got it, although radically yep. different. different. Yep. Um, but I, I kind of, 
fought with myself over, over the idea, you know, as much as the car belongs to me, it, it kind of belongs to the community in a way. That car means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, it's the reason for, you know, not only a lot of relationships I have with people, but I can't even count how many people have told me over the years, hey, that car is why I'm into cars or into BMWs, things like that. Uh, and this car that the community had named, Rusty Slammington, um, it, its name was it was a very key part of, of what it is. It's Rusty, right? And yep. I realized it was kind of fate, so to speak, that the car was Rusty in its most recent state. I had actually planned on on painting the car uh, not nicely. I was going to spray paint the car this kind of crazy green color and then sand the paint on all the body lines down and do this kind of like patina paint job uh, on the car before the garage fire happened. But I was, I was over the rust. I said, I want to do something different. I want this like patina to rusty look, but not solid rust anymore. Uh, but the fire, it had, it had different ideas and, and pulling the body out of the charred garage, I realized, okay, this has to be exactly how the car is when it's done. It's got to look just like this. Um, I can't, I can't touch it. Uh, and, and so I realized, you know, like it's fate that the car was still rusty, so to speak. Um, and I felt like if I, if I go change it, if I, if I do a fiberglass body on this, or if I do an aluminum skin or something, it's not rusty anymore. Uh, yep. it's, it's kind of the, you know, like the, I might butcher the way to say it, but like ship of Theseus problem, uh, forgive me if I'm butchering his name, but this concept of if you have a, like a wooden ship and you slowly replace every piece on the ship to the point where you have one board remaining of the, of the, you know, deck of the original boat, but it's all replaced slowly over time. Is it still the same boat? And if you replace that final piece, is it still the same boat? How do you, how do you, you know, solve this problem? Um, and I realized at that point, there's no rusty anymore. It's not, it's not rusty anymore. No part of the original car exists and nothing is left to tie it to what it began as other than its own story versus you can look at the skin that's on it right now and it is directly tied to and tells the story of what that car has been through. You can walk around it and see uh, remnants of each stage each time I've put my hands on that car to, to change it, to, to bring it forward or, you know, to, to do what I'm my own thing to it. Uh, and I realized doing anything further ends, ends its story. That's not what I wanted to do. Uh, and so I said, well, if you know, if, if I have it in my head that I want, you know, a fiberglass finished version of this car, I just need to go build that instead, not do it to this one. Um, and so that was kind of the realization that I, I don't want to change the car again. I could continue to improve it, but I think I set out to build the ultimate version of Rusty, and and that's what was yielded. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think that's a very fair statement to take. I mean, you've enjoyed the process. Obviously, there've been some times where you probably didn't quite as enjoy it as much when you graze your knuckles and things like that. But you've created a car that the community's got be that you'd like to think a good proportion of the community's got behind. As you said, you've been able to bring people in from different worlds that have said that they this actual piece of machinery that you put your hands on and basically created has inspired them. I mean, what more can you want from anything really? Exactly. So the the car had its own, you know, kind of full story arc. Um and I realized at some point it was kind of like, all right, I think I think my story with this car is done. I, I got to this point of realizing either I'm going to reinvent the car again, which for the reasons I just stated, I, I realized was not what I needed to do. Uh, I was going to wind up moving the car around my shop for the rest of forever because I kind of built this thing that I can't use the way I once did. It couldn't be daily driven or driven on the street anymore. And it had this crazy race engine in it that I couldn't afford to just fire up and, and go race willy nilly and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, am I going to just push this thing around my shop forever? Uh, what, what do I do with this car? It's hugely important to me, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. It was the first time I had like this kind of conundrum with this, with this machine of mine. Um, and, and it was around that time, uh, a BMW collector, good friend of mine, uh, he kind of made a joke. He said, hey, I'd, I'd love to have that car. And I thought, oh, you know, that's flattering. 
we were hanging out one day and he, he, he kept, he kept poking at me. He kept saying, yeah, but how about that car? I'd really love to own that car. Yeah, Maybe like seriously, Mike, Mike, seriously, I'd, I'd like, I'd like to own that. I'm not joking, seriously. And you're like, oh, you're kidding, you kid, you kid. Yeah, exactly. And then finally, when I was leaving his his uh, shop that day, you know, we, you know, did our shook hands. I said, I'll, you know, I'll talk to you soon, and walked out. And then he chased me out the door, and he said, Hey, man, I want to say again, I'm, I'm serious about that car. And it kind of planted the seed, and I really fought with myself for a while. I'm like, I can't sell this car. This car is like synonymous with me. How, how on earth could I ever come to terms with doing that? Um, but I, you know, it rattled around in my head, uh, and he hadn't even said anything about price or or anything like that because that wasn't what was important to me. The story is is what's important. But I realized here I am. I'm talking to this guy that's got the most impressive BMW collection I've ever seen. We're talking about a guy that's die hard in love with these cars shares the same yep. enthusiasm for this mark that i have um and he clearly curates these machines uh with with a with a certain love for them and for uh certain cars he, he had some re- one of the coolest pieces in his collection at the time was he had one of two uh 700 rs factory hill climb race cars based on this this the old bmw 700 that had essentially a motorcycle engine in the back of it um he had had this open top hill climb race car driven by hans stuck uh really cool piece one of a kind and this is the type of stuff that this guy has he had you know the, the he had turbo alpina cars and and just all these unique bits and pieces of bmw history and so when this guy is saying hey I want, I want your car. I thought maybe I should talk to him. So I went down one day and and I said, Hey, look, I don't think I want to do this, but tell me why you want it. Tell me what you're even thinking here. Uh, and to really summarize what was a several hour conversation, he said, look, I don't want to own your car. That's not my MO here. I don't want this to make it mine. I want to be this car's caretaker. I want to preserve this car uh, and and share it with people. I want to put it, you know, in my in my showroom. I want to share this with the world. And I thought, okay, well maybe this guy is starting to speak my language because like, this is the point of this car is to is to be shared with people. But here I am, kind of with an inability to do that. You know, I'm not making money hand over fist. I can't, you know, I don't have the means to to you know, tow this thing around and do stuff with it kind of became my own worst enemy building something I couldn't go out and drive. Um, but we, we had several talks about it and I realized this guy is saying what I, what I want to hear. And I don't think he's saying it just because he knows I want to hear it. He's saying, he's saying the right things. He's got the right ideas for this car. Um, and so long story short, I, I eventually, I, I sold it to him. Um, he, and and I knew it was the right move because I think within a month of selling it to him, he had the car shipped out to the BMW CCA headquarters and it spent a year on display with their um, their kind of 50th, I want to say, or maybe 75th, or I'm embarrassing myself not remembering, uh, anniversary uh, display that they had out there at the, at the CCA headquarters. Um, and realizing that, okay, this car is on display for people to see with some of the best BMWs out there. Uh, in in history not just you know custom cars but like monumental machines that are part of bmw's history Uh, landmark cars and milestones like man this is what i always wanted for this car this is this is amazing and so it definitely feels like the right decision it it was a realization that the car has to have another chapter in it but was that chapter going to be me you know sweeping the dust off of it regularly and just moving it around my shop or was it going to be in the hands of someone else who can really celebrate the car? And, and that made more sense to me. And that's ultimately why I sold it. Yeah. And obviously, like you said, you've got someone who's more so curating it now, as opposed to technically like owning it of sorts. It's living its, its new life and, and it's, it's other, and it's new, newest form, one might say. Exactly. And so then how did that sort of transition going away from, uh, leaving behind Rusty, one might say, to to go and for Rusty to live its new life, uh, for you to sort of transition 
sort of into proto machine, uh, which would be your next adventure, one might say. So Rusty, uh, even from the earliest days, uh, was very much a lesson in understanding what I really like to do. And so through Rusty and then through my first Model A, um, through some of the other BMWs that I've built, such as the E36 or my my Group A E28 replica, um, things like that, uh, up and through my second Model A, which was kind of my most recent big project uh, for SEMA 2018, uh, just kind of this ongoing journey of realizing I really love the creative outlet of building cars. I get a lot more out of that than I do out of any other part of automotive enthusiasm. I mean, I, obviously I enjoy storytelling and photographing and looking at them. I enjoy driving them. You know, I, I have my own track car, things like that, but foremost is my love for the creative output. I, I love building and I love putting my ideas uh, you know, into, you know, steel and metal and what have you. So Proto Machine was kind of born from this thought of, okay, if I really love building these cars, maybe that's what I need to be doing. Maybe I need to build cars for other people. Um, you know, I had sold my first Model A and I had sold Rusty and I sold my, my E28 parts car, uh, Group A car. I call it the parts car because it had the, the, uh, kind of the X-ray livery on it, borrowed from an E24 yeah. that kind of it shows all the parts, so to speak, um, and and really kind of had some momentum of of people liking buying these machines that I built. I said, okay, well, this this seems like something I need to do, and so I had partnered with uh, a very good friend of mine, Riley Stair, uh, as well as uh, another good friend, Nick Foster, up in Seattle, Washington. Uh, we'd kind of talked for years about, hey, someday it'd be really cool to have a shop and build cars. Let's do this. And so we, we starting in January 2019, uh, we kind of dove in headfirst and opened up shop. Um, and, and that was Proto Machine. We said, let's build cars for other people uh, with the ultimate goal of kind of setting out to build complete vehicles, not just, you know, I don't want to be a technician working on the cars. Um, and so over the past two years, we've seen a ton of success. I mean, it was a, a very successful shop. Um, you know, tons of customers coming in the door, uh, a, a huge waiting list of people waiting for us to do, you know, whatever they've conjured up. Um, but in those two years, there was kind of a realization uh, on my part and on Riley's part, we were kind of both looking for not hugely different things, but different enough things that we realized we might need to shift gears. Um, over two years of building cars for other people, I, I had realized I went from having kind of a new project every year, uh, taking something to SEMA every year, having a way to kind of put my ideas out there, to, to having not turned a wrench for myself at all uh, in, in 24 months. And yeah, it was a very, kind of, I very much a realization that I, I took a step in the wrong direction. I thought that this was going to be the way that would further that, and instead I realized no, all I've done is just spend all my time building stuff for other people and I'm not getting my creativity out there. And, and that's what I really am after. The whole point of Proto Machine was supposed to be as to, you know, put it simply a means to an end to build what I want to build. Um, and realized it was, it was a step in the wrong direction for me, a successful step, but not the one that I wanted. Um, and, and so through that and a handful of other things, Riley and I realized, Hey, maybe we should, maybe we should both chase what we really want here because, you know, life's short, you know, you only get one chance to do what you want to do. So don't waste the time doing something that you aren't truly passionate about. And I realized I don't want to, you know, lift my head up from underneath a car hood when I'm 40 and say, ah, I'm still like working on other people's cars or, or I'm rolling around inside of something welded a roll cage in a car for somebody when that's not like what I want to be doing. It's just supposed to be a means to an end. Right. So yeah, just paying uh, the bills. Exactly. And and so proto machine as a whole was a, was a wonderfully exciting uh, and successful endeavor in opening up a shop. Um, and we had customers that supported us uh, and we did some really cool stuff. We built some amazing cars for, for some people built some successful uh, time attack race cars and, and all sorts of cool stuff. 
and I learned a ton from the entire process, stuff that I'll get to carry forth forward for years and years to come forever. Um, but the most important thing that I learned through that was a better understanding of what I want to be doing with my time. Um, and so that kind of goes into what you had said earlier of, you know, kind of taking a step back and focusing on my roots. I've, I've been doing stance works nonstop since 2009. And so I, I continued to run stance works, uh, kind of part time, uh, while doing proto machine. Um, but realized, okay, I, I really love that creative output. I really love, you know, the, the photography and the writing, the storytelling. But I also need to find out how I'm going to build the cars I have in my head. And Stanchworks has always given me the opportunity to work with other other companies and other people uh, to bring those dreams to life. So I need to go back and 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 make a concerted focus on that. Sure. I mean, I, I mean, I'm really excited to see what you can come up with in this next sort of phase in this journey of your career. I mean, obviously, I really. I will say, for example, seeing your cars always every year at SEMA has been always my personal one of my highlights. They're always so well done, so well put together. Okay. I mean, I, I the the Ford Model A, the 31 Ford Model A, when I saw it there, it like blew my mind. Um, what I will say that even more so, and, and I'm sorry about this, Mike, but I have to say the fact that someone created a, a Lego replica of that car and you can <laughs> buy kits for it, make it just even more cooler even though you did while you created the model from the base on i mean just the idea of that the concept of that of, of what it's able to drive the the creativity and others it's truly incredible and so i can't really wait to see what you guys have come up with but that also sort of leads me into another question i mean you do have an eclectic sort of love for different cars i mean obviously uh, I don't know if you've still, the Hummer I know was sort of pending a sale. Is that sort of, is it moved into a sale or is it still sort of on the go? I mean, the idea that you went down that route is another sort of talking point that's sort of completely different from all your other routes of sorts. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I consider myself a BMW guy. And, and when I'm talking to somebody that, you know, says like, oh, what are you into? That's, that's my go-to because it's, it's easy to talk about, but I love anything with wheels. I mean, whether it's cars, motorcycles, trucks, I love trucks. I've, I've built several off-road land cruisers at this point. Uh, a few years ago, I built a six liter LS swapped FJ60 that was just an awesome truck, drove it every day for years. Uh, sold that and I bought an H1 Hummer, kind of fulfilling this childhood dream. I mean, I feel like that's something all the car guys are like, yeah, it'd be pretty cool to have one of those. Maybe you don't want to be seen driving it. I don't blame you, but they're, they're pretty cool. Um, I mean, how, I will say so, this, how, difficult, how difficult is it to parallel park your Hummer in uh, small spaces? I mean, I'm guessing it can't be the easiest thing. Okay, so we, here we get an opportunity right now to dispel my favorite myth of Hummer ownership. So the Hummer, as gargantuan of a vehicle as we make it out to be, is really not very big. So it's wide, undoubtedly wide. It's like one of the widest vehicles out there, right? But it's only 15 feet long. It's as long as an E30 M3. Okay. It's, so the, the length it's, of it's, it's not the problem. It's more the width, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's shorter than a new Camry and a new Jetta, for, for example, bumper to bumper. So it's, it's not this like massive, massive vehicle. It has a great turning radius, independent suspension on all four corners. It rides really well. It's like a very comfortable vehicle to be in. It's just really, really wide. Uh, and part of what really makes it seem so much more grand in scale is that if you kind of look at it, let's say bird's eye view from an overhead footprint, it takes up every uh, bit of its footprint versus most cars that, you know, if you kind of imagine the greenhouse curves in at the top and the bottom of the rockers, they curve in at the bottom and the bumpers sweep in and the, you know, you have, there's, there's more shape to it. And so when you have this just giant rectangle, and then when you sit at the very edges of that rectangle, you wind up having what feels like this monolithic vehicle. Uh, it's not the easiest thing to drive, uh, but my replacement truck for it, which is a which is a 97 Ford Crew Cab long bed uh, OBS 7.3 Power Stroke, uh, is 10 times more difficult to drive around. I mean, like yeah, I was going to say. So what was the what was the drive behind that one? While we were like, this is the next one for me. Um, so the Hummer, while it's an awesome truck, and like I hope to own another one at some point, uh, one that uh, I kind of have this idea of what to do to one that I've never seen done before. So maybe someday when I have the money to buy one and actually cut it up. 
I'll do that. Yep. But uh, one of the one of the purposes I bought that truck for, I sold my Land Cruiser to buy it, is the Land Cruiser always got kind of warm while towing. It wasn't a great tow vehicle. Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, well, an H1 Hummer, it's a turbo diesel. It's got like a 9,000 pound tow rating. It's got like 450 pounds of torque. Like this would be a good, this would be a good tow rig. Uh, and so that's part of why I bought it. I wanted a way to get, you know, the, the 31 Model A around if I'm not going to drive it, you know, taking it to different things. And I wanted a way to take my E30 track car to the track. Can't drive it on the street. Uh, so how do I accomplish that? Okay. So I need a tow rig and that's why I bought the Hummer. Well, it turns out Hummers are awful tow rigs unless you buy a 2006 Alpha, which has the Duramax or oddly enough, the lower powered NA diesel trucks tend to not get warm while towing. But if you have a turbo Hummer, uh, they don't like going up hills. So it was, you only uh, learn these lessons after you're driving it, I guess as well. Yeah. So it was, it was very much a, a very quick lesson and oops, I bought the wrong vehicle. Uh, I, I still enjoyed owning it for a, a bit over a year, um, but realized eh, I've got to find something that I can tow my car to the track with. Because as much as I love owning the Hummer, it's keeping me from using another car that I have, uh, and yeah. that doesn't make sense uh, from an ownership standpoint. I need to I need to solve that problem, and so I, I bought the I bought the OBS Ford, knowing that it will pull the race car and then some, and then some more. Uh, and so far, I've been really happy with it. It's been a, it's been a great truck. It's it's kind of uh, obnoxiously large, but uh, it's a cool truck. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm seeing your journey through this world wide web of social media, but it certainly looks like you're enjoying it at this point. I mean, I'm just excited to see what what's the, the evolution of this truck over its next time, because obviously, I have a feeling it's probably not going to stay uh, in its current shape or form at this point. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? But I have a feeling in my warts it's not that what's good. You're going to be intended for it. Well, I, I don't foresee myself going totally crazy with it because I bought it for practical purposes, which is not something I normally buy vehicles for. Um, however, I bought this thing before uh, selling the Hummer. And so it's the sale of the Hummer that's funding uh, the new upcoming projects that I'm hoping if I get my ducks in a row, I'll get to uh, maybe you know announce this week. Uh, I've got the car already, uh, and when you when you mentioned having kind of an eclectic taste, this is something totally new for me. Uh, I realized in kind of my uh, understanding of Proto Machine not being the answer for me and needing to go back to my roots and 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 focus on me and my craft uh, that I wanted to do something different. I need to chase and follow new ideas and new forms of inspiration uh, and, and do things I have not done before. And so pretty much every aspect of this car uh, will be new to me. Um, and, and so I, I think everyone will be in for a treat, that's for sure. Well, I'm looking forward to, to finding out what it is. Obviously, when with this ad, people will probably already know at this point, but no, I'm just really excited to see. And I'm guessing also this gives you uh, when you're now able to do more, it gives you more chance to be able to go driving more in your M3 ride as well. Because if you're towing it more, you can get out to the racetrack more and you can spend more time there and more time on track. And that's, that's what everyone really wants to do with the race car, right? Exactly. You know, I, I've got a, I've actually got the, uh, I got to replace the water pump in it today. And then uh, I'm heading up to the track this weekend for, uh, for an event out at, at Bunwillow. So I'm very excited about it. There you go. The other thing I wanted to touch on as well is the the competition you've got going for the BMW at this point. Yeah, yeah. So we've got uh, so I've partnered with H and R, who has been an incredible supporter of of honestly everything I've ever done. Uh, it was H and R that that came to me when I first had the idea of rebuilding Rusty after the fire and said, "Hey, we want to see that car come back to life. How can we help?" And they've been around ever since. Uh, and this year they said, Hey, we're not doing SEMA. What if we, what if we do something cool and exciting? Let's, let's give a car away. And, you know, I, there was kind of that record scratch moment of, wait, what are you serious? You want to give a car away? Uh, and they said, yeah, we, we just bought a brand new 2021 M235 X drive grand coupe. Uh, and we want Stanceworks to give it away. And so that's what we're doing. We, uh, put together a, a website that's grand giveaway, G R A N giveaway since it's a grand coupe um and we've uh we've done a kind of a in typical stanceworks fashion we've got a set of three art prints pegged by andrew andrew uh kind of returned to to do some art for us uh to which, which are beautiful prints. prints 
Beautiful prints, oh, by oh, the way. Thank you. Yeah, we've got three of them that kind of celebrate three different eras of motorsport, kinds of motorsport, and uh, kind of walks of life of of race cars. And so we have those, and, and buying those gets you entries into the contest, you know, varying entries. There's a whole kind of rule list on the site. But there's also, you can just enter for free. You can write in and just say why you want to win the car. Uh, and if you win it, you get the car and 5,000 bucks cash. Um, and, and, and that's something that I'm really excited to get to do. It's kind of this cool opportunity for everybody that's supported StanceWorks for all of these years to kind of give something back to them. You know, it's one thing to, to, you know, offer products to them and that kind of thing, but to say like, Hey, there's, there's a car here and someone gets to have it. <laughs> you, you just get to call it yours, uh, along with, you know, cash on the glove box. Um, it's a cool opportunity that that H and R made possible for me, uh, and and so I'm excited. I think that's going to be ending uh, at the end of December. We're pretty close to the end of December, so hopefully we'll have a have a winner pretty soon. Yeah, it looks like it. And then, so with that, if we sort of now try and wrap up this conversation, Mike. I mean, where's the best place for the folks to find you online? I mean, obviously, I have a feeling that you've probably got a couple of maybe almost like thousands of followers already but where's the best place to sort of track you down uh so honestly first and foremost is is stanceworks.com that's where uh all of my work winds up um that's where uh kind of i've put every ounce of effort from the last 12 years into uh, and that's where the that's where not only my story but the stories that i care about sharing that's where they go um and then if you want to you know follow me and see what i'm up to I'm always on Instagram. It's at Mike underscore Stanceworks. Uh, you can check me out there. And then very soon, hopefully on the Stanceworks YouTube channel, uh, you'll be seeing a lot of the new project uh, that I'm going to be announcing this week. I'm going to be chronicling the whole thing, start to finish and beyond uh, with what should be like a at least weekly kind of episode of, of working on this car and, and, and bringing it to life. So uh, you know, guys can check that out at the at the Stanceworks YouTube channel too. And I'm guessing they could also probably find your Stanceworks on the old Instagram as well. Oh, of course, yeah. There's there's the Stanceworks Instagram, uh, which is obviously just at Stanceworks, and then Stanceworks on Facebook too. Ah, uh, yeah, but who looks at Facebook anymore, right? That's that's the yeah, bygone era. Who's over there? Exactly, exactly. But Mike, it's been a real uh, pleasure having you on to get the chat today. Um, thank you so much again for making the time. Um, like I said, I'm just really excited to see all the things that you are going to be up to um, and how things are going to go, especially for you in 2021. I mean, I'm just really excited. And just thanks again. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm I'm really excited, too. And, and I'm excited to get to share it with you and, and your audience. Uh, and, and I really appreciate you having me on. Let me talk about what I'm what I'm into, what I've done and what I'm excited about it. So it's always fun to talk shop. And, uh, and so thank you for for giving me an awesome platform. No, no, thanks. Thanks for giving us a chance to catch up. And as always, guys, please, you must go out there, look at, find Mike, track him down, and also buy those posters. They're incredible. Get in the competition. Win yourself a brand new BMW and some cash in your pocket. I mean, who doesn't want that? Um, also, you, while you're doing that, make sure you give no breaking a follow. Instagram, find us there. Give us a five-star review, bare minimum. It's always what we ask for. Leave us a, nice, a few nice words. Uh, my mum likes to read that. It's like one of her things that she likes to make sure everyone's saying nice things. And uh, we'll just see you guys again next time. And so thank you as always for everyone for listening. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>